welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. A few weeks ago, Alex asked me if I wanted anything from the grocery store. And I said, yes, jalapenos. I need you to get jalapenos because I love spicy food. She wasn't asking me for a detailed list because she took care of that. She always took care of the groceries. She still does. And when she got back from the store, I was looking through the bags, wondering if in fact she forgot my one request, which happens occasionally. Now, let me pause and give you some context. We are week 10 uh, in our stay-at-home orders or so. I know that this is the 10th Sunday. We are preaching live streaming services into your homes. So this interaction, this experience happened, has happened during COVID-19. So there are a few more implications for what it required of Alex. So first of all, we don't go to the grocery store as often as we used to. Um, we actually have friends that will drop food off for us. If they go to the grocery store, we, we get food for other people. And so this is how Alex goes to the grocery store. I want to put a picture up so you can see what it looks like. Now, she preps a, food, a list um, days before she ends up going to the store, and uh, she loves her lists. And she texts our community to see if anyone needs any particular groceries that she could get for them because she is going to the grocery store. And she drives, she waits in line, she stands six feet apart from everyone else and she carries in her list and she has the other list of all the other friends that asked her to get stuff. And she carefully walks through the store to make sure that she gets everything on her list because if she forgets, she has to go all the way back around because there's, there's protocol and protocols in place to make sure that when you go to the grocery store, you don't touch anyone or anything at all. Now, she gets her bags, she loads them up into the car, and she comes home, and I unload the groceries, and I put them away. Now, for context, that's helpful, because it was a process for her to go. And so there I am, unloading the bags of groceries. I'm looking carefully through the stuff as I put it into our refrigerator, as I wipe things down and put them on the counter, one by one, I'm emptying the bags and I'm beginning to think to myself, oh my gosh, she forgot the jalapenos. Anyone else know what I'm talking about? She forgot the jalapenos. And as soon as I put the last bag away, I say, babe, you forgot the jalapenos. Babe, you forgot the jalapenos. I complain. I was irritated. I was frustrated because in my head, I'm thinking of all the times at this point in my life, of the things that she forgot when I asked. Now, I don't see in this moment that she has snacks for the kids. She has meat, she has fruit, and she has cereal and oatmeal and, and all the things that we need to survive the next several weeks, including LaCroix. I, see, I don't see any of that. I miss it. All I can see is what's missing, the jalapenos. And so what I do out of my natural state as your pastor who struggles with this is complain. And I share this story because, well, it's been 10 weeks. And it's been challenging for lots of reasons. And we're all experiencing this in different ways. And we're staying at home and we're taking care of ourselves and our families and our friends and our communities. But can we just have a, a show of hands in your home? Has this been a challenge for many of you? Yes. We're not doing COVID-19 stay at home perfectly well. And it's brought up all sorts of things. And for me, 
Complaining is one of those things, and I want to share something because I've been reading Philippians, the book of Philippians, with my digital community over the last several weeks, and there's a particular passage that stuck out because I haven't studied this passage before, parts of it I've studied, but I noticed something that Paul instructs the church to do, and it was something that I happen to be struggling with. Um, Have you ever had that happen to you? Have you ever like read scripture and it just so happens to be the thing that you were dealing with in the moment? So Paul writes the church in Philippi and he writes to the Philippian church, which would have been meeting in homes like our homes now, small groups. Um, And there would have been a handful of these small groups or house churches meeting together in the Roman colony inside of what was ancient Macedonia in a place called Philippi. Philippi was known for its patriotic nationalism. They loved Caesar. And this is why in Acts chapter 16, Paul faced opposition when he came announcing that Jesus is the king. It's one of Paul's favorite churches, he writes. You, you can tell how much he loves this church when, in the language he chooses to use in the book of Philippians. He loved it. It was the first church he planted, planted in Eastern Europe, and this church was dear to him, and he encourages this, this church to live faithfully, um, to deal with some conflict they were having, but it's a letter unlike any other letter because there's not necessarily for Paul a central argument, but It's more of a series of reflections based off of this hymn that you read in Philippians chapter two. And the point really is to demonstrate who Jesus is and then explain to the church how to live like Jesus. So we pick up right after this hymn. There's this beautiful hymn that's really the gospel in a nutshell in a few verses from verse eight to 11 in chapter two. And then we pick up in verse 14 and Paul says this, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Paul says to the church, do everything without grumbling and arguing. Let that sit in for a little bit. Do everything without grumbling and arguing. Now, I want to talk about grumbling today. Next week, we're going to talk about arguing. In the Greek, a better translation for the word arguing is false reasoning, foolishness, which we'll talk about next week. Grumbling is a rich biblical world, and there's this rule called the principle of first mention, where the way the word was used the first time in the Bible is the way that that word will shape the meaning of the word for the rest of scripture, the principle of first mention. So the word grumble is used all throughout the Bible. Now we're reading it in Greek, but the first time it's used is, uh, is actually in the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is written, was written in Hebrew. And, and it's found in Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15, verse 22 says this. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? 
and they go on to complain and the Lord brings their complaint and brings his, frust- I'm sorry, Moses brings his frustrations to the Lord and the Lord cleans the water and makes it suitable for drinking. But the first time this word grumble is used is for when the Israelites, by the way, they were just freed from slavery and they're wandering and they watched the plagues happen. They watched God deliver them from Egypt, the most powerful empire at that period of time. Watch God part the Red Sea so they could walk on dry land and they travel for three days into the desert with this promise in their minds that God will bring them to a promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And when things don't go their way, where are we gonna drink some water? They complain, they grumble against Moses. But there's another story, there's a few stories because it happens a lot in Exodus chapter 16, the very next chapter, verse two, it says, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to themselves, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Ah, I can't stand it. (laughs) The Lord then provides manna. But what happens is that this word grumble becomes this term that's used to describe a mindset that leads people towards disobedience. And it's a story of Israel. And the story is so simple over and over again. When Israel's expectations aren't met, they complain, they grumble. They experience God's wonder and power. They, they experience the miracles um, that God would have for them. But when Life doesn't go the way they wanted it to go. When life doesn't meet their expectations, they complain against Moses and God. You see, for the story of Israel, as we talk about this word, their story is dependent dependent upon God. You see, their future required them to live in obedience to God. And this is how it was going to work. By following God and following his ways, their future would be brought about in miraculous provision. God would provide their future. God would provide their food. God would provide the water for them to drink. God would provide for them because something about becoming the chosen ones, becoming um, a kingdom of priests requires a radical dependence and obedience on God and his character. But over and over again, complaining takes place. They, their expectations aren't met, so they complain. It's like when you go on a long car drive, when you're driving up to Mimi's house or grandpa's house, and you're two minutes into a four-hour drive or an eight-hour drive, and your kids ask, are we there yet? And then they begin to complain. Or when you're driving down the street, and for the third time they said, they say, can we hear Dance Monkey again? No, you can't hear Dance Monkey anymore. Anyways, The Israelites start complaining, they grumble. The word they use is grumble, and that word is complaining. That word in the Hebrew is the the idea of behind the scenes talk. You begin to blame. You begin to complain about things that are going on. Complaining is not telling your 
server that um, the dish you ordered is cold. Um, no, complaining is this, this deeper thing. It's this internal dialogue that leads to a critical spirit. And it's funny because the word in Hebrew is connected to the word howl, the sound that a dog makes when it's wailing. That, that word grumble or complaining is connected to that word in Hebrew. So complaining is a mindset. And Paul says in Philippians, do everything without complaining. And here's what happens when we complain, when we develop this condition or this mindset of complaining. What happens here is expectations aren't met, right? So the Israelites in particular, their expectations don't meet their reality. Their circumstances don't meet their expectations of reality. And the greater the distance between what is and what you want it to be, the greater the dissatisfaction, the greater the disappointment. And in the desert, the desert for the Israelites wasn't what they hoped it would be. God led them there, but God wants to form them in that space to trust, to live in obedience, and to learn dependence, which will require new habits and practices and a new mindset. And rather than trust, the Israelites want control. Rather than freedom, they want predictability. They would rather live enslaved knowing what to expect of their circumstances than to live free and have to trust God with their circumstances in future. And so they grumble, they complain, and their complaining leads them to living a lie. It leads them to being deceived. They begin to believe that Egypt was better. They had pots of meat. So they thought it was better to be enslaved and have control of their limited life and resources than to live free and learn to trust the character and nature of God. You see, complaining leads us on an internal journey that eventually disconnects us from God's way and his goodness. It disconnects us from each other and it disconnects us from unity and complaining will eventually lead to unfruitful action of disobedience. And there are so many Bible passages that talk about this idea of complaining and grumbling. In James, Chapter five, it says, don't, don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. James writes to the church to not grumble against each other, to not complain against one another. In first Peter chapter four, verse seven, Peter says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without complaining, without grumbling. Oh! This is what God hopes for his people. That as the people of God, Paul will say to us, do everything without grumbling and arguing. Do everything without complaining. So, the jalapeno story. You see, 
this complaining mindset is not something that I just happened to discover during COVID-19. But what I realize it's, is that it's deep inside of me. And as I've been sitting with this text, why does Paul encourage us not to complain? And what's the antidote of complaining or grumbling? He, he gives it to us in Philippians. But the complaining mindset begins with disappointment. Starts with disappointment. Your expectations aren't met. And so you begin to cultivate an inward focus. Your inner world keeps you in a cycle of discontentment. Something isn't what you want it to be, and so you're disappointed, and you become focused internally on your needs, on your ideas, on your ideals. And so that disappointment leads to discontentment. And you go inside of your head and your heart, and then you begin to express that dissatisfaction internally inside of your soul. And then that dissatisfaction turns into a disconnection to the people around you, or at least to the people you're complaining about internally. You begin to disconnect yourselves by complaining internally about the things that you're experiencing. And maybe you even begin to express them externally about your spouse or about your kids or about your coworker or about your friends. You begin to talk to other people about the things that you have been collecting, the injustices you've collected. She always forgets the jalapenos. <laughs> Right? Am I, am, I, am I the only one? It's like you're doing the dishes and you think to yourself, why do I always do the dishes? I'm always cleaning up after so-and-so. They're always leaving a mess. They never respond to the text. They're always showing up late. Your mom always does this. Your brother always does. All of a sudden, you're keeping records of wrongs and mistakes and you begin to express that, and that builds up not just discontentment, not just dissatisfaction, but disconnection from community. And eventually, that leads to division in the church. You build up a mountain between that person of all the things that have gone wrong, and that brings discouragement. It brings all sorts of issues to your, to your community but, or to your relationships. And in community, this mindset of complaining where you express externally, it becomes gossip, but it leads to disunity in the church. People begin to take sides. People begin to form sides on their belief systems, on their political views, and how they complain against each other. And so people express their disappointment. They express their dissatisfaction. They express their discontentment. And this process eventually leads to disobedience where people begin to gossip, to judge, to express anger. They build up entitlement and then after entitlement becomes resentment and after resentment comes unforgiveness. And complaining will eventually lead to the death of relationships and community. Now, I know that may seem extreme, but this is where the cycle goes. It all starts with your expectations not being met. And I can't tell you, brothers and sisters, as a pastor of a community, how often I have seen community be destroyed through expectations, that you put your expectations on others and community is destroyed, and then you begin to complain about your expectations not being met, and you develop this mindset that becomes a spirit of criti a critical spirit and it destroys not just your relationships, not just your internal world. Not only does it lead to dissatisfaction and discontentment, it just leads to a smaller world in life. 
So what then is the antidote? What is the antidote to this condition of grumbling and complaining or a mindset of complaining? And the shorthand answer for Paul is to rejoice. The opposite of grumbling, the opposite of grumbling is to rejoice. In Philippians chapter four, um, verse four, Paul says to the church, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you always. So joy is the antidote to complaining. Specifically, rejoicing, choosing to express joy. Now, the, the biblical word, the, he, uh, the Greek word to rejoice is really beautiful, and I'll talk about it in one second. You see, rejoicing and joy, it's not just a feeling. It's not something that you feel. You, it's not something that you just do when it feels right. It's a posture. Joy or to rejoice is a mindset in the same way that complaining becomes a mindset. And in the Greek, you could describe rejoice, you can define it as to lean towards God's grace, to, uh, to lean towards God's grace and to be aware of his grace and presence. To rejoice is to lean towards God's grace and to be aware of his presence. It's to press in, it's to step in, it's to be aware of his gifts and his presence and his grace. When we can rejoice always, that's what Paul says, because we can choose to lean towards God and his way. We can choose to lean and to trust his character, not our circumstances. How on earth are we supposed to rejoice always when circumstances aren't going in our favor? Well, as followers of Jesus, we learn to trust in who God is, not what he can do. We learn to trust in who God is, not what he can do for us or our circumstances. So we learn to lean towards God's grace. We press into God. We practice joy. We choose joy. To rejoice is to choose to express joy in the Lord. Not just joy in circumstances, not just joy in our good outcomes, but to express joy in who God already is. Joy must be expressed. So we believe rejoicing is greater than complaining. And to rejoice is a spiritual practice that counterforms us from a complaining mindset to a joyful mindset. It helps shape who we are becoming in Christ. And this is a command that Paul gives us. We choose to look at who God is and how he already showed up on the cross and rejoice in that reality. We choose to live with joy when circumstances aren't bent in our favor because we can have joy because we're with God and he is with us. We can have joy when our expectations aren't met because we are cultivating a mindset of joy. We are learning to live in the, the abundant kingdom of God even when we don't have enough because Paul will train us 
He talks about having a contentment and being trained with this mindset. So we cultivate a mindset of joy. We choose to trust God in his character, not our circumstances. And when we do this, we move from the temporary to the eternal. When we do this, we move from focusing on ourself and our expectations to focusing on others and looking at the interests of others. We move from ourself to looking at God and what's going on in his reality. And this creates for us two things, a posture of gratitude and a posture of humility. And gratitude is being thankful. And that thankfulness, that gratitude will develop into joy over time. Because thankfulness is a cure for dissatisfaction. When you believe that life is a gift that you get to receive, rather than something to control and grasp, then what happens in your life is joy begins to ferment within your soul and it gets expressed externally through gratitude, through affirmation, and through encouragement to others. So you see, when you live with gratitude and when you have a mindset of joy and you, you affirm and encourage others, it will build connection. So where, where complaining builds disconnection, gratitude and joy builds connection. You lift others up. And gratitude produces satisfaction and greater connection and greater contentment. This is why Paul will write later in chapter four, I have learned the secret of being content. And he lists all the circumstances he's experienced. And he has found contentment in God, not because of the circumstances, whether he was fed or unfed or living on the streets or living in a home, but he's found it because he's had a deep sense of trust in the character and nature of God. It's amazing. Rejoicing is greater than complaining. All of this fruit of joy leads to greater unity, greater connection, greater contentment, and faithful obedience, which will lead to greater life in Jesus. Grumbling leads to death, which we'll talk about next week. Rejoicing leads to life. If complaining leads to the death of relationship, the death of community, and the death of the church, eventually, which is, Paul said, which is why Paul says, do everything without complaining, then rejoicing leads to relationships, community, and greater life in the church. So brothers and sisters, how do you lean towards God? How do you choose to rejoice? And how do you begin to shape your mindset in a mindset of gratitude and joy, joy versus the cultural mindset of criticism and complaining. Because we live in a world where our voice is expressed everywhere on Twitter and social media, and it seems like gossip and complaining is the primary way we express ourselves, but we need to stop as the church, stop doing that. How do we learn to shape our minds to be filled with joy rather than complaint? Number one, Take responsibility for your heart and mind by taking your thoughts and emotions captive. Take responsibility for your heart and your mind by taking your thoughts and emotions captive. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse five says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. 
Brothers and sisters, we must learn to take our thoughts captive. As they bubble up, we grab them and we submit them to Jesus. When I see that the jalapenos aren't there, I don't make a list of all the ways Alex has forgotten something in my life and bring it to her. I just let it go. I release it, I submit it to Jesus. And I release the fact that it's not there and I gently say, thank you for getting all the groceries, babe. Um, Just next time, uh, I wanna remind you to get the jalapeno. I don't complain, I start with gratitude. Second, meditate on scripture um, to know his way. We need to meditate on the word of God to know the way of God. Joshua 1 talks about learning to uh, meditate on the law day and night. Meditate on it day and night so that we may be careful to do everything written in it. Then we will be prosperous and successful. We need to replace our natural mindset with a new mindset with the word of God. Take your thoughts captive, meditate on the word of God to know his ways. And the third practice to develop a mindset of joy is to practice gratitude. You should make a journal that you fill every day that's filled with gratitude. Colossians 3 says, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In other words, we do everything through gratitude. Make a list, be thankful. Brothers and sisters, in this time, it may be very easy for us to complain. It may be very easy for us to notice the things that are missing, but I wanna encourage you to develop a mindset of joy because rejoicing is greater than complaining and rejoicing will fill you with life, with contentment, with connection, with peace, and with greater fruit in your life. And I want all of us to be men and women who learn to be joyful, to experience God's joy so that our joy may be complete. And it will take time. Take your thoughts captive, meditate, and practice gratitude. God bless you guys. Let's pray. Jesus, bless our church as we worship. Fill us with peace in your name. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.